Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Maury Steele. I'm Joey Boudreau. I'm Sarah Blakemore. On this episode... Donation, how it's impacting new frontiers in autism research. And we're going to talk about how maybe your purpose in life is just to live. Oh, can't wait to get started. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are excited to talk to you about this topic that we haven't talked about a whole lot here on the Gifted Life. But Carolyn Hare joins us now. Hey, ma'am. Hi, how are you? We so appreciate you being here today. Uh, Carolyn is the Clinical Director for Autism Brain Net. So we are so excited to uh, talk about this, to learn from you. Um, that's what this podcast is all about, learning from our partners, and uh, you are a great one. Uh, we kind of want to start with just an overview of autism, if you could start there. Oh, sure. And and also, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Um, so, so thinking about autism in general, um, you know, I think one of the things that people first ask is, how is autism diagnosed? And, you know, is there sort of a blood test that can happen? Is there any sort of, you know, formal evaluation that can uh, be done early on to diagnose autism? And, And the answer is that autism is a behavioral diagnosis, and it is primarily characterized by an impairment in communication, an impairment in social interaction, and stereotyped and repetitive behaviors and interests. Now, most pediatricians have the capacity to do early screening to help families see when autism might be something that they want to consider as a diagnosis for their child. Uh, It used to be that autism was rarely identified, but Some positive news is that with the CDC's reporting of the 2020 incidence rates, they also let us know that 84% of pediatricians' offices are offering this sort of screening. So if you have concerns, it's important to speak to your pediatrician. So what are those uh, signs that that they should be looking for when they're concerned or, or maybe thinking that autism you know, could be something that that we'll be working through? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I think the red flags that that most families or or, or the the differences in in their child's uh, behavior or development that stand out the most um, have to do with the child's communication, first of all. You know, if a child's language uh, development is delayed significantly, um, meaning that they're not using single words meaningfully before 18 months of age, that would be one red flag. Another one is is their child's level of social engagement. You know, if you're having difficulty making eye contact with your child or they're not responding when you're calling their name, you know, first you'll want to get their hearing checked, um, but then secondly, that could be another significant uh, sign. That you would want to pay attention to. So, at what what age? Now that I've got a, a five month old, and these things mm-hmm. all obviously resonate 
uh, quite a bit with me. Uh, what what age uh, does that usually take place? That is such a good question. You know, it used to be thought that two years of age was really the ideal sort of point at which a child would have typically developed the behaviors that would allow us to know if they're developing um, normally or if they may have some complications in their development. At this point, though, we're getting so much better at early identification that sometimes 18 months or 12 months of age is when you want to start having that conversation. So, of course, um, one of my roles with LOPA as a chief clinical officer, I oversee the research um, department and program, and uh, we've got a wonderful uh, research program manager in Tina Madere. And kind of the way it goes is, is uh, Tina has been tasked with LOPA to constantly seek out research opportunities that would be fruitful, that, that have a, a, you know, a great impact that we can possibly positively impact. And, and she uh, you know, brings that to, to uh, the other clinical leaders and we, we talk about it and, and decide, okay, this is something that we should you know, try to, to, to go forth with. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so with that, I bring in Tina Madere. Hi. Hey, Tina. <laughs> so, so Tina. You're right. She is wonderful. <laughs> she is. She's amazing, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, Tina, when when she, she first uh, brought it to our attention, I can tell you my, my first thought was immediately, yes, this is a resounding yes. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. Tina, I'll, I'll start off with you. So what what brought your attention? What, what got your interest, piqued your interest in, in saying that this is something that we should be uh, pursuing? Well, I first heard about this program through our CEO, Kelly. Um, She had went to a conference somewhere and brought me back a pamphlet, and she was very excited about it. We had started getting into brain recoveries about five years ago, and we do some great programs with uh, things for PTSD and addiction and things like that. And so this was – I seen this as another – Another really great program. So, and you mentioned PTSD. We also work with the NFL with with CTE. So it kind of all ties in. Yes. You know, with with what we've been trying to do from a movement yeah. going forward. So For uh, five years ago, we started with one brain bank that covered. They work with a lot of researchers and cover a lot of different, you know, neurotype disorders. And then we've since branched out, and I want to say it's. We might be up to six or seven brain banks now, wow. so we can place, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of disorders now. Yeah, you talk about the PTSD and and also the CTE and it, uh, you know, and I don't know if that's something you're familiar with, uh, Carolyn. Do you, do you guys do anything? Are you familiar with CTE? So I am, and and you know, just a little bit of a personal side note, uh, Bennett Omalu, who is really the pioneer of research into chronic traumatic encephalopathy is here uh, is from Pittsburgh yes. originally so he and I worked together directly Will uh, Smith. for a period of time yeah I love this and I love um, when Tina joins our meetings and she comes in with these these updates and we're like oh this is so fascinating we have to tell people and so this is one avenue that we're able to do that here on the gifted life so we mentioned uh, Carolyn that you're with autism brain net uh, so mm-hmm. what is it and what is its mission Right. So Autism Brain Net is a collaborative network of 
biorepositories around the country. Um, we have three sites currently where we collect uh, postmortem brain tissue for autism and uh, research into autism and related neurodevelopmental disorders. Those uh, repositories are located at the UC Davis Mind Institute in Sacramento, at UT Southwestern in Dallas, and Harvard's Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. All right, so how does the, the program work and then how does LOPA, I guess, come into play? So that's such a good question. So the program works in that, you know, our our mission, of course, in, in developing this collaborative network is to support or facilitate the highest quality research into autism and related neurodevelopmental disorders by providing researchers with postmortem brain tissue to study. Now, a lot of people ask, <laughs> why is it so important to study postmortem brain tissue? You know, we have MRIs, we have other ways of looking at the brain while people are alive and with us, and those are absolutely important tools. However, if we really, really want to understand what's different about the brains of people with autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders, we have to look at the actual structure of the brain, and that's why this is so important. So, in in comes uh, Lopa. Yep. You know, not, you know. So, so when and Tina then reaches out to you. So, how how do you guys work with the organ recovery agencies? So, you know, I <laughs> I guess I want to start by saying that our partnership with Lopa you know, like our partnerships with our donor families is really at the heart of what we do. You know, you all are so passionate about supporting research and about making sure that we're connected to families who are making this very important decision. Um, so our partnership with LOPA really <laughs> serves that purpose and in introducing families to this idea of brain donation um, and more specifically brain donation for autism research. So when Tina brought all the family advocates this new research opportunity for our families, we were very excited. So how it works is a family advocate, whether it's an organ family advocate or a tissue family advocate, approaches for donation. And part of that is some of our donors have opportunities for research. And that will be part of the process when you're doing paperwork for authorization is the family advocates will ask if you and your family are comfortable and want to be part of certain research processes. So this is one of those that we are now asking our families about. Mm -hmm. And when when we started, uh, you know, I knew that the family advocates, one of their big questions would be that because they would be asked so often uh, is what does the viewing look like? And of course, that was the first question I think that I posed to Tina, you know, when when we, uh, you know, sparked the interest of, okay, do we proceed or not? So, Tina, can you tell us a little bit about that? As far as an incision goes, uh, there will be an incision going across the top of the head, I say mm -hmm. from ear to ear. Mm -hmm. um, if that donor has hair, it's hidden. You won't ever see it. If they don't have hair, older gentlemen or something, mostly bald, you are going to see some type of an incision. But really with funeral arrangements and how they're laid with a pillow, the pillows mm -hmm. are pretty fluffy and mm -hmm. will cover most of it. We do tell our families up front, though, mm -hmm. and we've, you know, had families come back with, oh, he's going to be wearing a hat anyway. Right. So they usually <laughs> it hasn't been an issue. Mm -hmm. um, most people who want this type of donation, they really want it to happen. So they, you know, yeah. will yes. as long as they know. 
And then I know that, Sarah, you mentioned when we were uh, asking for organ and tissue donation, is there ever, um, uh, is it possible to just recover brain or does it have to be part of an organ and, and tissue recovery? No, I've done many brain-only recoveries. So how do we find those families? Do they reach out to Autism Brain Net or LOPA? You know, sometimes, yes. Okay. Um, since I work with so many brain banks, a lot of, depending on what issue these people might have, mm-hmm. they sign themselves up for a program. Oh. It could be Parkinson's or PTSD. And so these brain banks already know, and they'll contact me and say, hey, Tina, we have a recovery in your area, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll give me the information to go take care of that way. Now, in other ways, um, our referrals that we get every day from hospitals, right. uh, I take a look at all of those. It's usually in a past medical history. Autiz- autism will pop right up. Yes. Um, so I'll put notes in just to remind the family advocates who are reading, you know, that they this is an opportunity for the family. And then with our tissue family advocates, they have a list of a lot of neuro stuff that they look for when they're going through their referrals. And they'll call me or they'll, you know, go ahead and ask the family. And so what is the the goal of Autism BrainNet? So w- we talked about um, these amazing families who say yes. Um, and we know in the donation world what that means. What does it mean for Autism BrainNet? Right. So, you know, Autism BrainNet's goal in facilitating this research is to enable scientists to better understand the causes of autism and related developmental disorders so that we can develop better, more targeted treatments and interventions that folks can choose to take advantage of if they want to. So anxiety is a really good example of of something that's been well studied in autism as a result of postmortem tissue donation. Um, In fact, one of our directors, Dr. Cindy Schumann at the UC Davis Mind Institute has done a significant amount of research into um, the area of the brain called the amygdala and anxiety. And what they've learned is that very, very early on in life, children develop, children with autism have, (laughs) have a much more dense uh, population of neurons in the amygdala as children and have heightened or overreactions, um, you know, based on the environmental stimuli. So they have increased anxiety as children. But what's interesting is that while that population of neurons or the neurons are much denser at a younger age, as people age, we've learned that there are fewer neurons in adults with autism than typical adults. And so what does that mean? So one thing that this means is that, you know, (laughs) that we can continue to learn and change and our brains evolve, of course, over time. And it means that early intervention is very, very important. If I could also add, um, I just learned um, in researching, you know, for this podcast that something that I, I was really encouraged by, and I think that a lot of people are, you know, as we were talking about before, like the increase in screening by pediatricians and and I think awareness in terms of autism spectrum disorders has improved dramatically over time. But one of the statistics that sort of blew me away um, is that finally we have, um, so the increase or the incidence rate is one out of every 54 children 
is diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder today. I remember that being one out of a hundred. It feels like just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so even from, let me think, even from, gosh, 2014 to 2020, there was a 10% increase in the incidence uh, to one in 54. But, but something that's especially interesting to me is that with the release of those 2020 statistics, there was actually a consistent incidence rate between African-American and white children. And why that is important is because previously, Black children were not accessing screening and diagnosis at the mm-hmm. same rates. And so there's been some leveling of that, mm-hmm. which is really encouraging. Yes, really important. That it is important. You know, I, I will say the the disappointing <laughs> the disappointing statistic is that Hispanic children are still going unscreened and undiagnosed at higher rates. But, you know, we always have room to improve. And that's something that we need to focus on. So we see that um, there has been a, an increase in incident numbers. Is there environmental reasons for that? Or are we getting better at diagnosing? Yeah, so this is, I mean, that it's a really uh, prudent question mm-hmm. that you're asking. And and one, that question has actually been uh, asked for a number of years now. And the CDC, in fact, was so concerned in trying to figure that out that they have conducted their own study um, that has, has demonstrated that it isn't that we're getting better at diagnosis. This is truly an increase in incidence. Wow. So really important work that you and Tina and your OPO partners are doing and um, learning more about it. And I know from my experience, the families that I work with who authorize for research are very excited to be a part of these changes. So I wanted to ask you, what support do we offer our families who donate and who authorize research for to autism brain net, how do we support those families after donation? Right. You know, so I, I do want to recognize that the support really starts with LOPA, the team at LOPA. Um, I know that you're wonderful at working with your donor families and and we feel very privileged to carry that out uh, with with our uh, mutual donor families after um, after uh, they've already donated to, donated to our program. We engage all of our families in a fairly extensive um, process uh, after the donation has occurred. And we spend you know, hours talking with them, learning about their person. And that's really for two reasons. One is because we wanna provide them with the support and attention that they deserve. Um, but equally as important is that our researchers are keen to know who the people are, you know, who is this person who, mm-hmm. whose brain I'm studying at this moment. When I think about research here at LOPA, I mean, I think Tina, 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 mm-hmm. Tina, mm-hmm. Tina. And then she comes to the table and it's like, look at these amazing things. Like, what is that like for you to have taken on this role? And it's really like your calling to me. Like when I hear you speak about it, mm-hmm. like I get excited and I can't wait to go out in the community and tell other people about it. So what is that like for you, this transformation uh, on this role that you've taken? I love this role. I didn't have a clue about a lot of the stuff that's going on in research until I was able to come over here and um, just really look for programs and meet the most amazing people, 
researchers and to see their passion and what they study. I mean, it, it's just awesome. And then just to see just the awesome work that they're doing out there. I mean, they're changing the way they treat diseases and, mm-hmm. you know, new medications are coming up. And we do a lot with um, they're trying to develop some new pain medications to get people off of opioids. Yeah, non, you know? non-addictive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a great study. It's something we need right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I never know. Every day's a new day. Yeah. So I never know what the day is going to be like or what new is going to come my way. Um, it's just an incredible, you know, field. Awesome. And I like that she brings her her friends to us and say, you really need to talk to these people and right. tell your listeners. <laughs> and we love, we love, love, love that. So, Carolyn, I know that you're still with us. So um, if folks are interested, they want to learn more about Autism BrainNet, um, where can we send them? So, uh, like everyone, we have a website, uh, which is www.autismbrainnet.org. And we really welcome people to visit our site. They can learn more about ongoing research that is happening. They can also see uh, some of the tributes that our donor families have written to their loved ones who are donors of our program. And we're actually especially, we take particular pride in in our Memories of Hope page honoring our donor families. Um, You can also call us at 877-333. Zero nine nine nine. So, Carolyn, is there a way for our families or our donors to sign up beforehand to be a part of this? So, on our website, you absolutely can sign up for additional information, um, which I do encourage people to do. Um, we don't spam your inbox, um, but what we will do is send you a very informative quarterly newsletter that provides some program updates. Uh, but more importantly, what's happening in terms of of research. Carolyn, thanks for uh, giving us of uh, your time today here on The Gifted Life. Tina, always a pleasure to have you here as a guest on The Gifted Life podcast. Keep up the good work, ladies. Uh, We'll be back with more. Thanks for having me. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Always interested to see what Sarah's got for right. us today. So what do <laughs> you got for us, Sarah? Okay, so let me just start this by saying I am a big nerd and I still watch Pixar movies when I'm feeling um, nostalgic or feeling, I want like a feel-good moment. As so, well you should. Yes, I love it. So I watched the new movie Soul the other day and it really, really inspired me. Um, So for those of you who haven't seen it, Soul is about the difference between finding your purpose in life and finding your spark for life. Mm -hmm. So the characters think that your spark for life is your purpose, but really your spark for life is living to the fullest and your readiness to live. So it's really about being in awe of the life you have. So it got me thinking because I preach a lot about finding a purpose, but what about those people who, you know, I'm lucky. My purpose happens to line up with my career. But what about the people whose careers are, they're working to work, you know, Mm -hmm. they want to make good money so that they can spend time with their family. You know, Mm -hmm. they're working to live, not living to work. Mm -hmm. So it made me think about those people and maybe I've been excluding them. So I want to talk about maybe your purpose could just be living, enjoying your time fully, Um, whatever means you have, finding that spark for life within your means. Yeah, I think 
I think some some of us that are lucky enough mm-hmm. to have purpose within our jobs, our day to day lives, I think it's you know that's such a bonus. Uh, at the same time, so many I can tell you, so many of my family friends, you know, they envy that that yeah. I've got this because they don't have that from a day to day standpoint, but. They they do have such a purpose in different things that they enjoy, in mm-hmm. different values that they have. And and oftentimes, you know, you mentioned, you know, job is is a means sometimes to get to that purpose or to help them with fulfill the other areas of their lives. So it's you know, everybody has a different uh, fulfillment. Everybody's got different avenues for that. We just so happen to have that yeah. combined into the same role in, at work. Yeah. And mine changes. I'm at like calendar because I have, you know, lots of kids and everybody has, you know, all these activities and I put that on the calendar. Um, but I always have something to look forward to every day. Like, you know, what do you wake up, um, you know, to do what, what are you excited about? And so every day it's something. So it's either the kids, like she was taking her kids kindergarten picture of my last baby so mm-hmm. that was exciting for me or Kim has a big tournament that he's been practicing for or, you know just something like that and so I always try to find like those little nuggets that um, you know get you through the week like sometimes if it's like hard and sometimes that does come yeah. you know with work um, but but every day for me it's like something different um, that keeps me going motivates yeah. me. and that's how you found your spark for life is mm-hmm. those little moments yeah. with your kids and you know, in the movie, they talk about when they finally realize what the spark is, it's your readiness to live. And it makes me think a lot about people who um, experience depression and anxiety. It can be really hard to feel alive when there's a lot, there's a heaviness on you, um, whether it's through depression or anxiety. And knowing that you are capable, first of all, of feeling excited in your life, of feeling ready to live, but also that you're worthy of that. And it doesn't have to come from your job. It doesn't have to come from, you know, finding not for profits that are amazing to you. It can be just looking at your life and what the world has to offer and feeling in awe of that and just wanting to be a part of your life and you can do it. You can find that spark. You're not alone and it's not hopeless. Mm-hmm. I learned from our um, families. It just provides you with a different perspective because sometimes if you're in a traffic jam, it's like, oh, I know. goodness, I just need you to go. Um, and then you'll talk to um, a recipient and they're like, oh, that's when I like jam out. Like I put my favorite yes. song on, like yes. gets me going. But like a different uh, perspective, a different way to, to look at things. Yeah. Um, and I just learned from folks who were 72 hours away from death or 24 hours away from death death to, um, you know, take time to smell the roses because yes. we're all so busy um, that I, I enjoy that every day. Yeah. You know, we're busy, but it, it's a hard place to live sometimes. Like, I don't want to take that away from that because there's a lot of things that happen in the world we live in that are hard, but it's good to remind ourselves also of how amazing it is that we're alive and that we have so much to live for. So Find that spark, guys, and just like appreciate every day your life and live in gratitude. And, you know, sometimes your purpose isn't your job and that's okay. We're we're all just doing the best we can. I'm smiling. Can't see me (laughs) though. I like the little pep talk, Sarah. Maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover. Email us info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, if someone donates for research, can the family find out any outcomes of that research? The answer, Laurie, is is yes. In in many cases, 
you know, of course, it, it depends on the research, uh, you know, but but for the most part, most of our research uh, companies that we work with before we before we get into it, you know, we make sure that that's something that we can find out and, and kind of keep up with, you know, for those families. Right. I know, you know, in particular, the Apollo project that we work with that studies kidney disease in African-Americans, they follow up with the families. So you will get um, some updates on that. But I think if you want to know what the outcomes are or how the research projects are going, just reach out to LOPA, our family services department, and we can get you in touch with the right people to get you that information. Yeah. We will try here, and I'm sure your OPO where you are as well. Maybe you have a question for us. Give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Jonathan Daly. And we learn about Jonathan from his family. Jonathan's donation of organs and tissue completes his life story of caring for others. It was his ultimate gift, which gives us solace as we learn of others who live because of him. And now we pause and say thank you to Jonathan for the gift of life. And that will do it for episode 161 of The Gifted Life. Learned a lot. Yes, we did. Special thanks to Carolyn Hare, Clinical Director for Autism Brain Net, and of course our own Tina Madere, our research program manager, for their partnership and doing everything that they can to ad- help advance the research for autism and giving hope to those who are living with autism. Yeah, mm-hmm. and more to come. Hopefully they'll be back on The Gift of Life with more um, in the in the coming months. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can register anytime as an organ, eye, and tissue donor at registerme.org. And the best place to find us, thegiftedlife.org. Go ahead and listen to any of our episodes on our website or wherever you like to listen, whether it's Spotify, Google, or Apple. If it is Apple, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating, review us, and subscribe so that others can find us. On social, like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. And we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one big team. Until next time. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.